Warning, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, contains adult content. Harry and others use profanity, adult language, and discuss adult topics, and so shall we. One more warning, this podcast may contain spoilers. I must stress this for this chapter and the entire series of Harry Bosch, so please proceed with extreme caution. You know where I've been all morning? The M.E.'s trying to work out a deal to keep a lid on this thing for a few hours. Seems like overnight we sprung a leak and already this morning Irvy's getting calls that we're sitting on a homicide of one of our own. You wouldn't know anything about this, would you? Harry said, Only thing I know, I've been thinking about the scene out at the motel and the autopsy being inconclusive. Like they said, I'm not thinking suicide anymore. You're not thinking anything. You're not on it. Remember? And what about this? He opened up the drawer and brought up the file. It was his rail file Rick had shown him the day before. Don't bother telling me you haven't seen this before because I might have to take it over SID and have them run a prints on it and I'll bet my wife's diaphragm I'll find yours. You'll lose, Frankie. Then I'll have more kids. But I wouldn't lose, Harry. Hello, and welcome to the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch. I'm Philip Parker, a retired police detective with over 29 years of law enforcement experience. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and please rate us five stars or better. Please follow us on Twitter at the Thin Blue Line Pod or our Instagram and Facebook pages, which are set up just for our fans. Now all that bullshit's out the way, it's time to get back and probe deep into chapters 13 through 16 of The Black Ice. Last time on the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, we explored chapters 9 through 12 of The Black Ice, where Harry received the autopsy report on John Doe number 67 from his on-again, off-again lover, lover, Teresa Cozon, the acting medical examiner. Teresa tells Harry that they found two different type of fruit flies in Juan Doe's body, suggesting that he was working at a place where fruit flies were dyed and eradicated. Teresa confessed that she feels that Moore was murdered based on evidence of the blow to the back of his head. But Deputy Chief Irvin is reluctant to allow her to call the death a homicide because she's not 100% sure of the head trauma wasn't from the shotgun blast. Teresa asks Harry to keep this information to himself but shortly thereafter, Harry calls a friend at a newspaper and leaks this information. Later that night, Harry locates Porter, who has not been returning his calls. Porter admits that Moore requested that he slow down the investigation into Wando 67. Moore promised Porter a quote-unquote Christmas bonus from some friends of his if Porter agreed. Hearing that Moore was dead, Porter stated that he got scared and then he put in his papers to retire feigning stress-related ailment. Returning from bringing Porter something to drink, Harry is shocked that Porter has run out of the back door, leaving him angry and mad.
let's open up the murder book and turn the page to the chronological record so that we can do an investigative summary of the information gathered thus far in this chapter. Harry Michian and trade investigative information concerning Jimmy Capps, Wando number 67, and more. Sheehan confirms that Moore was under IED investigation concerning an alleged trafficking and or protection scheme of illicit narcotics on the boulevard. Harry begins investigating the fruit fly industry, discovering that the fruit flies are transported over the border from Mexico in a special container that is not searched at the border. Harry begins to wonder if the containers might be used to transport drugs over the border, given the fact that a major drug lord operates out of Mexicali, the same company where the fruit fly company is located. Harry's suspicion grows when he discovers that Wando fits the description of a day laborer missing from Mexicali. Bosch meets Teresa, who is very angry with him concerning the disclosure to the press of the sensitive information she provided him. Teresa and Bosch further discuss the upcoming press conference where Moore's death will be reclassified as a homicide. Harry later then meets Rickard at the Hall of Justice in an attempt to again flip Kerwin. Bosch is horrified to find out that Rickard utilized his contacts inside the jail to place Kerwin in high power. High power is where the most dangerous criminal suspects are placed while waiting trial or shipped out to state prisons following guilty verdicts. After a number of attempts to conjure Kerwin to talk, Kerwin holds fast and tells Rickard to go to hell. Bosch makes Rickard drop all charges against Kerwin after threatening Rickard that he would go to ID concerning Rickard placing Kerwin in high power. After the charges are dropped, Bosch takes Kerwin to a hotel. Kerwin then tells Bosch that Dance is in the wind. Dance told Kerwin that his source of supply had dried up and that Dance was going to go south to try to develop a new connect. Bosch receives more information concerning Wando 67 and decides to go to Mexico to follow up. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's lift up the yellow tape, examine the clues, for the defining theme for chapters 13 through 16 is you tell me i tell you hello and welcome back to the thin blue line podcast harry bosch and we're gonna be hitting the streets and we're hitting the streets before we hit the streets um we start this chapter these chapters off with Harry doing tried and true investigative work by documenting his investigation in his notebook with the cron sheet. Again, as you remember in prior episodes, we talked about the importance of your notebook, the investigator's notebook. And I a firm believer in cron sheets because it helps organize me in a linear way of events. And then you could then find attributes of those events to try to hold everything together. Later on, we're going to talk about what Harry learned from his training partner when he became a detective is, you know, the glue to hold those particular events together actually make the case. So we have Harry going back to 
his cron sheets. And again, to show you how important I think cron sheets are, if you go to the website, as soon as you go to my website, I named it the chronological record. It give you just a, uh, a glimpse of how I, how I kept my cron sheets together to help me uh, remember the case in a linear fashion. So if you want to see a quick uh, cron sheet, a quick and dirty version of one, uh, go to the website on the uh, on the page and you'll see it. And you know, uh, going back to, uh, I like this this particular chapter where because he you know Harry's dri- drives back over the parking uh, back over to Parker Center and he tries to get a parking spot you know get there early, and again I'm, I'm chuckling because. You know, we already established that Harry has a Caprice, and I told you those are big cars and big boats. So you have to get, you can't find a little small parking spot. So he gets there early to find a big parking spot. And again, I remember rushing to get a parking spot because those damn cars are so big. And so, you know, so when he gets in the parking center, um, he 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 gets a tel- telex and teletype. Again, for my younger audience, you just don't understand. This day and age, you get email, text message, Snapchat, you know, Facebook, everything. Back in the day, every unit had a telex machine. And it was this old dot matrix. Oh, my God. A dot matrix um, printer that used to make this, you know, going across when it comes to when it was going across the actual print out the information and you got different updates and bulletins and all that kind of stuff. So it really wasn't a teletype. It's called a telex. So, um, you can get again, flash lookouts, uh, stolen vehicles and all that kind of stuff came across the telex. And like I said, every unit had one in their building. Well, Harry gets, um, gets, goes to uh, telex and he gets information about Wando 67. So one of the things that when he he goes and talks to one of the detectives in the uh, uh, wanted persons bureau, detective, I'm butchering got the poor gentleman's name, uh, Cateo, Capiteo. And at this point, let's remember that Harry now has information that Moore was probably or suspected Moore was crossed over and he had he had died and so there's some suspect of of something going on and you want to limit as much people on your investigation as possible not to say you don't trust cops but certain things are need to know and you know you just don't blast out your investigation to everybody because you don't know everyone's agenda and if you of course if you work with somebody and you know one of the things, like I said, with this these particular um, chapters, you tell me, I'll tell you. But you you hold that for people who you trust and or you work with in the past, understanding that they won't reveal their source. And as this these uh, chapters continue, we have Bosch uh, getting on the elevator and see Sheen coming down, either from ID floor or chief Irvin's floor it is not beyond friends to throw jabs at each other. Like, Oh, I see you coming in late. 
or you're coming down from the chief's office or ID office. Either one of the Bosch is utilizing all his little investigative tricks to, because he knows he's got to talk to Sheehan, and he knows Sheehan knows everything about the investigation. So he's already priming the pump to get information from Sheehan. Remember, he he went to Sheehan uh, two chapters ago, well, a couple of chapters ago, he went to his office, but Sheehan was out for the day. So, because he knows he can go to Sheehan and trust and get information concerning his investigation um, from Sheehan. And as Harry's trying to talk to Sheehan to pump him for, pump him from, for information, Sheehan warns him that, well, Sheehan says, look, Chief Irving warned me to stay away from you, Bosch. And again, you got the junkyard dog doing his job, keeping the investigation close. And remember, he's keeping the investigation close. There's something going on. Again, he, he has the big picture. He has the bird's eye view of the whole thing. But he understands one thing. Harry is not part of the family. So this investigation, even though, just like he told Harry in, in, in the Black Echo, your skills, well, I actually, uh, yeah, it was in the Black Echo. Your skills aren't in question here, Harry. It's the fact that matter that you don't, um, you're not part of the family. And that makes you dangerous because I, being Chief Irving, I have to protect the family. And you see it here, as I'm going to tell you so far in this book, again, no spoilers, just my personal experience. The chief is too close to this investigation. He should not have been this close to the investigation, especially you have the RHD guys, homicide guys. Again, those guys just don't make homicide. You wake up, yawn. Oh, I won't be in a homicide today. No, you have been through serious training. You have background on uh, uh, report writing, investigating the whole nine yards. And you have tested those skills in court and you should be proficient before you even go to homicide. So he has a good cadre of investigators to get the job done. But there's some reason that he is staying close to this investigation. Again, no spoilers. I'm just giving you what's the hairs on the back of my neck just coming up right off the bat. The chief is too close. Now he's telling Sheehan, yeah, yeah, you know, if Harry comes around, you pretty much he's not a part of this investigation. And, you know, and I just to drive this point home, when you run an investigation, a long-term or uh, sensitive investigation, there are always people like that, like a Harry. And see, my, I always subscribe to, I'd rather have you inside the tent pissing out opposed to you outside the tent pissing in. So what I mean by that is I want, if everyone to me, if it was smart, I would let Harry join the investigation, but you keep him close and you require him to do certain things to keep him close, to keep him on a short lease. But right now he's freelancing. You don't know what the hell, because Harry's already proven he has no problem going off the reservation and doing what he wants to do. That's why he got bounced out of um, RHD. And just like I was saying before, Bosch utilizes Sheehan, Sheehan's need not to be affiliated with Irving or IED to get Sheehan to talk about the, um, the uh, Moore case. And, you know, he... He infers this by saying, after they talk a little bit, he said, well, you can go ahead and tell Irving I said so. That's a direct jab at Sheehan because Sheehan has already has been shown that he's not that type of cop. He's not the type of brown-nosing cop that goes up into the chief's office and to, you know, to to swap stories about. He actually even says it in this particular portion of the book. He said, you know, I'm unlike you. Uh, sitting out asking me questions. I can't go and ask the chief questions that anything off the top of my head. So Harry knows what buttons to push with different people. 
Harry and Sheen come to a consensus about one thing about more. Well, well, as 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 Bosch said, uh, Sheen kind of opened the door a little bit, talking about he, you know, some people get what they deserve, and Harry and Sheen kind of agreed. At, at the end of the day, I don't give a damn what Moore did. No one deserves to be killed in the manner in which he was killed. So no matter what, you know, double barrel shotgun to the head, that's over the top. Um, even if he, even if he did cross over. That's a that's well past the line of street justice. And, you know, Sheehan and Harry, when they're talking about the investigation, Sheehan re- reveals that ID had, a, had a, a tip that something about Moore was doing something illicit, either selling drugs or or, or offering protection to drug dealers on the boulevard. And we had... Uh, we had an inkling of this early in, early on in the book when Harry went to give Sylvia the you know the, the next akin notice, and she said that Chastain had came into the house and or was inferring that she uh, provided some information in reference to more, and one, that's one of the things that I liked about uh, Sylvia in the first part of this book. Uh, excuse me, the first part of this book is because she still she held true to her and um, Moore's relationship. But a, a trick that ID does, well, not just, I would say a trick. One of the things that if you are a good law enforcement uh, person, your significant other, you have to be able to trust that what, what Chastain is inferring that Sylvia did here, that your, your significant other, other would never do that to you. I mean, I can say, again, I've been married for 20 some odd years and at my worst, at the worst level, I would never, ever, ever, ever think that my wife would ever do what Sheehan is or everyone is affirming because not just Sheehan, uh, Rickard, um, everyone thinks that Sylvia dropped a dime on more. And even Harry keeps saying throughout every time he keeps hearing the story, he's like, yeah, she's, he, she doesn't seem to be that type. And we have, I got some hardcore. I tell, I tell any young guy, you know, or any young person, any young um, officer, whoever want my advice is you, this is crucial when it comes to your professional career in law enforcement, because you cannot, when you pick a, a significant other, that significant other has to understand certain things. Again, the life of being a cop, but there's certain lines you just don't cross. And or, you know, again, I'm you know, when I say this, please, I'm not saying that my my spouse would, you know, cover up a murder or you know something like that. But what I let me to, to, to get more in depth into that. I mean, some come up with some bullshit bogus thing just to get back at me because I did something in our relationship to hurt them. So that's that's what I mean by that. That you know, but I, I I've seen it happen. I've, I've seen uh, officers get called down to ID because their significant others made some some crazy claim, like oh he pulled his gun and pointed it in my face. I mean, of course, that's serious. That's serious. But you know, a lot of those claims, ID gets those all the time, and is and is BS. Or you know, he put his hand or 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 he's a drink or or whatever story. Um, so when you go out and you pick a significant other, 
not just do you love them, but you got to ask that hard question. Is this person with this person ever, do you think they have in their heart to ever put my career at jeopardy? It's not that, that, that I didn't deserve. Now, again, if I put my hands on you or I do something illegal, I, I get that. I get that. And no one's saying that you, you know, make, you make these cover ups. What I'm saying is coming up with these bogus um, excuses or bogus claims just to get back at your significant others. I feel like I'm rambling, so I'm going to move on. And, you know, after um, Harry talk about the case, and I like this. And again, this goes back to my, you know, you tell me yours. I tell you, know, you tell me, I tell you. One of the lies that, any, again, if any police officer is listening, you would hear, they say, well, I tell you, but you didn't hear from me. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a classic. Uh, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you what I heard, but if it ever comes back to me, I'm going to deny it. So, uh, you know, I said that uh, I can't even count. If I had it, I'd probably be a millionaire. You know, you talk to people who you trust. I mean, you you talk to people in law enforcement just so, again, it's the power of getting other information, getting people to talk. And we saw Harry do this a couple of times. You know, he had to give Donovan something. So Donovan would tell him he had to give Sylvia, excuse me, um, Teresa, um, something. And so she could give it, give him something. He had to give, again, he gave she, she in a rundown of all his stuff. So she can then give him something. So it's just, you got to do it the right people. You got to trust the right people, but that's part of cop work. You know, you trust me. I trust you. I can do my job more efficiently if you give me what you have and vice versa. And, but after they do this, uh, that, that, this talking and again, Sheehan runs down all the information about what they got about more about the alleged ID investigation, alleged, um, Oh, let me, oh, let me back up. You know, did, I love the fact how Sheehan knows Harry and, you know, he, he slides the Zaria, um, the real, excuse me, the real file across the uh, poster from his desk and shows it to Harry. Say, yeah, you know, you you say you didn't know the guy would come to find out he was doing some work for you. And <laughs> he told him, <laughs> he said, I bet if I run your fingerprint, uh, run fingerprints on here, I'll get yours. And he said, I bet my wife's diaphragm. <laughs> Again, that's a good old Catholic Irish thing. Again, I, I, I you know, I got a list I'm going to be asking uh, Michael who, who was Sheehan in his head? And because I'm assuming, you know, again, you shouldn't assume, but last name Sheehan, Catholic with the diaphragm and all that kind of stuff. I'm just, you know, trying to put a couple of things. I'm getting a, a picture of Sheehan. I could be totally wrong, but I'm getting a picture of Sheehan. But um, just to double back on uh, Harry, uh, Sheehan comes back and talk to Harry about how he was ran out of RHD. Again, Harry was the poster boy, what you don't do, because after RHD, you don't want to go back to any other place. I mean, you don't want to go back to Gen Pop. You don't want to go back to General Patrol or the district. I mean, you, you, you're a homicide and you're at RHD and you're doing, you know, RHD is the cream of the cream, the top. You get to all the high profile cases. That means you know your shit and no one really wants to go back to, you know, back to, as, as they were talking about in this particular chapter, going back to Hollywood, you know, the sewer. So I, I thought that was pretty cool how, Sheehan comes back and say, look, I should have probably talked to you um, about what happened, but, you know, we really missed you at RHD because we really need you because you got skills. I mean, everyone recognizes Harry does have skills. And so 
Harry then follows up this investigation by going to the um, the Fruit Fly Eradication Center, and he meets up with uh, the director Ed, um, 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 Edson. And again, I, I'm going to keep driving this point home: the art of getting people to talk. Now, there's clear it's clearly that that Edson is a prick. You know, and even Harry says this guy's a prick. He's condescending. He's talking down. You know, trying to make these these stupid jokes. And to get, Bosch needs something from him. And now's not the time to flex on this guy about. I mean, because again, Bosch could do it. You know, you know, you you could do it. If a guy's flexing so hard, if you want to be a dick to somebody, throw throw a subpoena on them, get them down to the grand jury, or bring them down for an interview, or all that kind of stuff, and you know, you know, make their day out, make ruin their day. But again, who wants to do that? Because remember, as I said in prior episodes, prior podcast, is not only as an investigator are you interviewing somebody for yourself but you're setting the standard for your for for the people coming after you so if you have to be if you if you're a certain way they're going to think that the next detective the next officer is going to behave like you and it wouldn't do harry any good because only thing just like what happened with Kerwin the night before you know they tried to flip Kerwin. only thing they did was waste his time so again this guy um Edson is being a, the director of the center. He's been a prick, but like I told you back in the Black Echo, um, you you gotta develop being you have to be able to develop uh, these different ways of uh, get um, in, in intelligence and interviewing people. And so we see clearly that Harry probably wanted to reach over and smack the guy upside his head, but he maintains his cool, maintains his composure just to make sure Edson gives him the type of information that he needs so he can further this investigation. Okay, I'd like to um, take a quick break here and go over the question of the day. And again, the question of the day was, Rickard and Bosch try to reflip Kerwin concerning intelligence about about dance. And I asked the question, uh, do you agree with Rickard's tactics? And it was either uh, no, uh, Rickard, he crossed crossed the line, or uh, yes, it's part of the game. And overwhelmingly, 91% of you guys who uh, voted said that, yes, you agree with the way Rickard handled Kerwin as part of the game. It, it, and you know what? Thank you. I, I, and for you, 91% of the people, that's part of it. Kerwin is, is part. He's doing his part. Rick is doing his part. And again, I said it before. I'm going to say it again. I think Harry doesn't understand or at least look down on narcotic work. But I think Jackie explained it last podcast when you talk about working sources, defendants, and you keep working up the ladder to get bigger and bigger, more adept into the, the narcotic organization. This is part one of the taxes that we use. And 
I, I'm glad that the public, or at least my listeners, understand 91% of you agree, hey, Way Ricker did it. He did it the right way. So thank you so much for participating into the poll. I'm going to keep doing that for every podcast, or at least try to do it for every podcast, to get a vibe from you guys, because I agree that Rickard, in this particular sense, Rickard actually did a really good... Uh, I, I agree 100% of what Rickard, Rickard did in the manner in which he did it. So... Yes, that's why I'm going to I'm going to keep adding those questions of the day. Also, I would like to uh, put out there if you guys can share the podcast with friends and family and just so we can keep this thing growing, I would appreciate it. And, you know, again, just to put it out there, I'm not sure if you're listening to me on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, but we are we are in a lot of different formats. And when you ask your friends and family to, you know, to subscribe and if they can give us five stars or better, that would be even even um, better and most most appreciated. So and again, keep the feedback coming. I love the feedback. I feed off the feedback, the interaction between, you know, what you like, what you don't like. Uh, Yeah, that's it. And back to the uh, hidden street. I love the um so again after he finished after Harry Lee's the the Medfly Eradication Project Center, you know, the official name. You know, he's he he's uh thinking over I got to just get this over with and go talk to Teresa. And again, I like how Michael describes you know the, I I'm I'm a firm believer in eyes. Uh and you know Again, I like again when he described Eleanor Wish back in the Black Echo. How when Harry grabbed Eleanor, she smoked him with his eyes, and I love, I love the line, the phrase, uh, quote unquote, from the book. Uh, she looked at him with eyes that could have carved his name in a tombstone. <laughs> I mean, like God damn, that's a hard ass look. And again, Teresa's pissed off at Harry because Harry revealed their quote-unquote conversation to a reporter who now everyone now believes that Teresa is the is a source of this particular leak so she's really upset with Harry jeopardizing her her um her position is becoming this the 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 medical examiner opposed to being the temporary medical examiner you know it's it's funny again that again just it's it's been my experience also it, this particular chapter, this particular interaction between Teresa, Harry noticed that, you know, she started using profanity, you know, and being really profane towards him. And Harry, you know, he said he noticed that, you know, most professional women in, when they, in, you know, mostly cops, lawyers, they turn profane when it comes to arguing. And he, and he said, I wonder, do they feel like that puts them on the same level as their men when they're doing battle? I have experienced that, you know, you know, once you start, I I thought I had a foul mouth. When you start arguing with, you know, with female, I've had female cops and lawyers, you know, you're like, wow, do you, do you, you know, do you kiss your children with that, with that mouth? You know, <laughs> That's a, you know, the stuff that was coming out that mouth. So this line, this particular interaction between Harry and Teresa, and again, Michael making note that uh, Teresa started using a lot of profanity. I, I experienced that. So that kind of made me chuckle. Again, 
and I just keep pointing it out. This is another check mark on how authentic Michael is when it comes to his writing. And, you know, after, you know, Teresa's just, you know, digging in on Harry, just digging, digging, digging in on Harry. And so she, uh, Harry is just like abrupt, abruptly leaves and goes back to uh, his car and he gets a page or he gets a page from pounds and he turns off his uh, car radio. You know, I miss the days before. I mean, cell phones are great and they are convenient, but I can tell you there's nothing like turning your radio off and, and, and ignoring pagers because nowadays in this 24 seven media and or contact, it's, you know, you, you are, you are accessible 24 seven. And sometimes you just want to think, sometimes you just want to be by yourself. You don't want to be bothered. And so, you know, those days of, um, I miss, I miss those days, you know, when, when you, like I said, you just turn off the radio, the, as you call it, the Motorola, that was just, all cop cars had Motorola. So you turn off the radio and you just ignore pages because you just want to be, have time to yourself. And I, like I said, though, I, I totally get, what Harry's going through. Like I said, Teresa just dug into his ass. Um, and he, it didn't go the way he thought it was going to go. I hoped it would go with Teresa. And, you know, next we get into something that at the beginning, of, I think it's chapter 15. And again, from the book, the hall of justice took up the entire block of the criminal court building. The first six floors housed the sheriff department and at the top four floors, the County jail. Anyone can see from the outside, not just because the bars behind the windows, but because the top four floors look like an abandoned, burned out shell, as if all the hate and anger held in the unair conditioned cells had turned into fire and smoke and stained the windows and concrete, blister it forever black. Whoa, that, I mean, you see, again, I said it last podcast. Every major city has that, but just how he right there, he's painting what you're going to walk into when you get into this particular um, uh, cell. And again, cell blocks shouldn't be warm and cozy. I mean, it is there to house criminals, but just that line, you know, um, and not, you know, not to just the bars, but you know, uh, as I said, it looked like an abandoned burned out shell as if all the hate and anger held in that unconditioned air conditioned cells turned, you know, to fire and smoke and stain the windows and concrete blister forever black. I mean, just, I was just, I mean, I visualized because when, when, when he, when I read that and I keep reading that my old um, jail cell, it just makes me have a flashback to it again. I'm just keep pointing it out there to you guys how authentic Michael is. Now, I can only speak for myself. As Harry gets into the cell block, I've interviewed, I can't even count how many people in cell blocks. And I don't care how many times I did it, uh, I never got comfortable interviewing um, prisoners in jail blocks. I never did. Uh, again, uh, the smell and the, the noises. You always hear someone, you know, somebody crying or, you know, the anger, just you feel it when you go inside that cell block. And I never got comfortable 
uh, interviewing someone there. And again, it goes back to what I was just saying about all the hate and all the anger that that you know you you feel it, it, it it's palpable. You know when you when you when you step in there. And again, I'm a cop, so when you walk through there, you know people know that you're a cop, and they're like, you know, if I get out that asshole, I'm going to try to take care of. So I never got comfortable uh, because one, you know, of course you got to give up your weapon. You are sometimes you got to go into places where they outnumber you, and you know my thumbs up to any correctional guys. I mean, do, do that every day. Whew. Those correctional people, uh, those are special breed of people, I tell you. So, you know, just to piggyback off of the the question of the day and just to really uh, ground, grind down onto it. You know, I've met plenty of homicide detectives. So let me back up. Let me back up. When I first became an, an investigator. My, 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 uh, detective uh, sergeant, my, my first detective sergeant, you know, during school said, Phil, you know, there's two types of crimes, crime of passion and crime of profit, which, are, which, which type of investigator are you going to be? And so homicides definitely is a crime of passion. You know, someone that passion turned violent and they then killed somebody or, you know, different variations, but the person is dead. So I met plenty of homicide detectives who looked down at narcotic work. And I can't, you know, Harry kind of looked down at Rickard in a manner which this is a tool that Rickard uses to do his job. Like Rickard said in this particular. So let me back up because I'm I'm sorry. I'm, I'm speeding ahead. So doing this attempt, they are in, in the jail to try to get Kerwin to flip. And remember the night before they caught him with all these ounces of PCP. He's been locked up before It's a righteous job, a righteous arrest. So they're there to really try to flip Kerwin. And that's just part of what Rickard does. It was a righteous lockup. It was like he planted some evidence on him. And that's just the tool that we use in narcotic work. And Bosch, didn't you can see Bosch didn't like it, you know, and you know, a lot of people said, well, it's just drugs, but people forget, you know, Kerwin is out there selling drugs that hurt people, you know, and you know, PCP, even though it's not, but imagine, you know, the fentanyl of the day, you know, again, I'm, I'm, you know, fentanyl is, is of course is, is, is triple times more potent, but look how much fentanyl is causing society in a whole from the ambulatories to rehabilitation or just the personal suffering. And so, you know, what Rickard does that narcotic work is definitely vital importance to law enforcement and or the community as a whole. But, you know, I, again, I brought this up because to me, this interaction while they were in the jail talking to, um, Kerwin trying to flip him, the fact, the matter, um, that Bosch kind of looked down on him. Again, I you know I I I love Harry, so I had no problem you know calling Michael out on this particular portion. But I got a I got a whiff of superior I mean a superiority here as Bosch looking down on Rickard. You know, and even then, you know Bosch kind of you know questions Rickard. What's what's what do you what's in it for you? Why are you doing this? And you know Rickard pretty much tells him, "Look, man, I watched." 
more do things, some good deeds that, you know, from taking a punch, you know, not get his teeth knocked out to rushing a guy overdose, you know, rushing, rushing him to the hospital, you know, and he said, you know, once you cross, so he, 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 he might've crossed over, but he was trying to cross back. But one of the things Michael got, which is so true is once you cross over, there is no coming back there. You know, there, there is no, one of the, the first things in my Academy class that I was taught was that you are the get out, a get out of jail free card for any criminal. Um, and I watch it happen. And again, any cop can tell you this. If you, when, if you choose to cross over here, I'm using, I'm using their terminology here and do illicit things with your badge. When you do it with other people, they get caught. The first thing they're going to say is you let me go. I know, I know about dirty cop, uh, John Smith, the dirty cop over there and the U S attorneys. I've seen them exonerate pretty much anything just to get a dirty cop. And again, I understand why, because it's not just the deed that you're doing, whatever illicit thing it is, but it's a public trust. And it goes back to, I can't do my job unless the, the um, public believes what I'm doing is righteous and or without your, without the public's consent. But the, if that any police officer listening to me right now, I'm going to pass that on to what I learned when I was told again, I'm not sure where you are, but you are a get out of jail free car for any criminal. If you decide to quote unquote cross over, just something, something to, to, to think about. And, you know, and just to put a, 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 a point on this particular interaction between Bosch, Kerwin and Rickard, I think the reason it failed to get them right there, those three together to, uh, to flip Kerwin because Bosch and Rickard never worked together. The good cop, bad cop. I mean, that's just a real simplistic way of thinking about it. But I mean, that's what Hollywood puts out there. You know, one person plays good cops and one cop person plays bad cop. Um, but Michael kind of, again, I'm, I'm going back to the black echo when they were interviewing, when they was Mike, uh, when Harry and Eleanor was, were interviewing Sharky, Michael did a great job of showing how that plays out because you give them some, what we call baseline and see when they lie and when they tell the truth and you gotta, it's, it's, a subtle, it's real subtle. It's real subtle. At times it would, you'd be amazed. I think I gotta look over my notes with Jackie, but at times when we were interviewing people, uh, they, they always assumed I was a hard ass, but I was a softy. Jackie was the hard ass. And so it was always funny. You know, I, again, I had plenty of, plenty of sources after we debriefed them. Um, they would contact me and say, is Jackie mad at me? Is that happy? Did, did Jackie, did she like what we were saying? So, but there was an art. And I think what happened with Kerwin is that Bosch didn't know how to work with Ricker because they never did it before. But that situation Kerwin could have been flipped right then and there if he had a, if, if Rick had a good partner, how to work it. I, that's again, I just reading it. That's, that's my belief. And, you know, I, I, I like this. Uh, <laughs> oh boy. Michael, you get to see why Harry is pretty much a loner. And again, uh, from the book, 
Harry leaned back away from him. Nobody said anything for a few moments, but Bosch could see Ricky was thinking about it, trying to decide if it was a bluff. A guy like you going to go to ID? Uh-uh, I can't see it. And then Bosch said, well, that's the risk, that's the risk, the risk you take. <laughs> Ricky looked down at the paper in his hand, then slowly crumbled it up. But it's the best line I like. He says, okay, my man, but you better put me on that list. And Harry says, uh, what list is that? He says, the one that you got the people you better watch your back with. <laughs> Again, so you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Harry did not like the fact how hard Rickard was coming down on Kerwin, that he had him in high power. And uh, when they pulled Kerwin uh, to interview him, evidently he was in medical. And Rick was really, really putting it on uh, on Kerwin. He was about to cry. But Kerwin, you know, hey, Kerwin decided to play the game. He said, you know, go to hell. Um, but so Harry's got frustrated, said, cut him loose. And Harry pretty much said, yeah, you know what? I'll tell, I'll go to ID and tell him that you just kid should not have been in high power. And and they go after you and or your buddy in into uh in the cell block who put him in high power. So you know, it's again, uh, Harry. You can't accuse Harry. I, I think Harry's wrong. I, right here, I think Harry's wrong. It's the same thing I said. You know, the question of the day. Kerwin's in the game, and you know that's that's what you know. If, if for those who haven't watched it, when you got to watch the wire, because one time you know, again, I'm, I'm, I got to divert a little bit here. You know, in, in one of the episodes in the wire. One of the guys wanted to start selling drugs and he sold drugs to an undercover um, um, police officer. And so he got locked up and he was a bar owner. And so he, the bar was a front, but he wanted to make more money on the side. So the, the drug attorney came in there and said, you want to be part of the game? you part of the game. Welcome to the game. And here, Kerwin, this is part of the game. You know, he wanted to sell drugs on the street, being locked up and going through this is part of the game. But, you know, you see Harry kind of feeling sorry for Kerwin, you know, um, you know, you know, by standing fast. And I, and I got it. It's, it's admirable what he did stand fast against um, Rickard. But again, I think Harry's wrong in, in the way he approached Rickard. The fact that he threatened, which I don't believe now. I believe Harry would never go to ID. It was just a bluff. I, Cause I, I guess I agree with Rickard. That's I, I, no, I just can't see Harry doing that. And after the, the case is dropped against Kerwin, Bosch takes him to a hotel room, gives him some money, and pretty much tells him, look, dude, you, you need to really do something different with your life. And that's when Kerwin, Kerwin finally breaks and says, look, man, dance is in the wind. You know, he told me our source of supply uh, had, had dried up, and he's going to try to go down south to get a new connect. And so now the information that Kerwin provides, just more ammunition towards and i think harry even said that he's going to have to he's probably going to you know everything's pointing for him to go down to uh mexico so after uh bosch finishes up with uh curlwin you know he goes back to his office and then he picks up the the tele the information that he got from the uh uh the, the wanted person uh detective you know he so he calls down to mexico and, and asks for uh Officer Aguilar, 
and Captain Greenia just uh, tells him, you know, he's off today. You know, how much, how can I help you pretty much? And, you know, so he gives him some pleasantries, but then, you know, I, I, here, I think again, Bosch kind of messed up a little bit because Bosch said, Hey, do you know if Juan Doe, uh, do you, do you know if he worked at a, a place called Envio, Envio uh, Breed? Again, this, that's the same company of the, uh, who, who supplies the fruit flies, uh, to Southern California. And Captain Greenia paused a little bit and he goes, well, no, I don't know his work history. And Bosch's body senses kind of goes off here, you know, while he's talking to him. So then he said, well, if you send me a piece, uh, send me the photo, then I can look it up for you uh, uh, promptly. And Bosch said, you know what? I think I will come down there and talk to, talk to Aguilar personally. So I'll be down there tomorrow. Again, his body senses went off. I think he showed his hand. I would never tell anyone who I don't know over the phone with, you know, the, the actual target, you know, because that's who he thinks, you know, possibly the black ice, the drugs, uh, Wando 67, more, all these different coincidences are all these different pieces are starting to come together, but, uh, his body sensor went off. So he's, you know, he told the captain, he's going to come down there the next day to, to, uh, deliver the photo in person. And so now we have Bosch doing some due diligent work and he pulls up the uh, DEA report and calls the DEA uh, again, the Drug Enforcement Administration, and he talks to uh, Agent Corvo, and you know they go back and forth, and Bosch pretty much tells him, you know, hey, look, yeah, you were Moore's uh, source of uh, source of information, and he said, well, how do you know that? He said, because well, he told me. He said, nah, -uh. he said, get some of that, you know, you could try those those knuckleheads on a strip, you know, uh, eight ball dealers, but you know, I've been undercover. For, for seven years, you know, try, try, try again, Bosch. And then Bosch, you know, tell him, hey, look, I, look, I'm trying to get some information about uh, these particular uh, drug dealers. I'm going down to Mexico tomorrow. I'm going to be in the code seven. So if you want to uh, beat me, talk to me, I would love it. If not, I want, you know, don't say I didn't fuck up your case. And one of the best lines I like, um, Corvo says to Bosch, well, how do I know who you are? He said, well, I know who you are because you're the guy who thinks that he's still undercover. And <laughs> I love that line. Uh, again, that's Michael. I let you, you know, again. Okay, so listeners, I used to do undercover work. And you always, after you finish undercover, some of the, your habits, it's hard to let them go. Because especially in narcotic undercover work, it's, you know, it's a lot of cloak and dagger. You live two lives. Because, you know, uh, you, you know, you, so you don't want people to know who you are and, and yada, yada, yada and all that kind of stuff. But at times you do have to remember that you're still not, uh, uh, that you're not undercover anymore and no one really gives a shit about you. But a lot of undercover guys, they forget that they're not undercover anymore. This is a great line because they still think they're undercover and, uh, and they still kind of have an air about them about being undercover, uh, uh, whatever. And that was a really good line, you know, that uh, Michael threw in there. And so once he gets off the telephone, um, Bosch sees Pounds lurking around. Remember, Pop, you know, Pounds gave Bosch these cases, Porter's old cases, so Bosch can close one of them so the so that um, their stats will look good, you know, the end of your stats. So, you know, Pounds and Bosch lurk, uh, lurks around Bosch's desk, and then they start talking about, you know, the cases and how, Bosch started running it down to him about how they got all these different connections and then how it gets, gets into, it gets into more. And 
again, Bosch uses Pound's greed against him because after Bosch runs down, you know, the, the Jimmy Caps case, Wando number 67 and the Moore case and how they all go together, Pound should have called Irvin right there. But see, Bosch got him and said, well, look, I'll write it up right now, turn it over to RHD. But, you know, they might close it in six or seven weeks from now, and they'll take the, they'll take the uh, glory. And pretty much then, we, you know, where will your stats be pretty much? And Pound's greed get to him. He said, well, yeah, go ahead and work it. Just call me like every day, work the weekend, do what you got to do. But, again, Pound's was wrong. Pound should have picked the phone up because, remember, Irving told – pounds to tell Bosch to stay away from the Moore case. The Moore case just happened to be driving right over Wando 67 and uh, uh, and Jimmy Capps case. It just, so it's, it's, but he should have pounds should have called Irving and said, look, this is what we got. But his greed got to him and Harry counted on that greed. So uh, again, you know, you gotta know you gotta know your audience. And you know, one of the things I Oh, goodness gracious. You know, remember last, last, last podcast, Porter pretty much bails on Bosch and, but still ringing in Bosch ear. Is it Porter? So you going to take care of me because as Bosch is run down the case to pounds, pounds asked um, Bosch, Hey, did you, have you heard from Porter and Bosch? Like, no, nah, I haven't heard from him. You know, again, protecting Porter. Why is he protecting Porter? Again, that's now, you know, again, I, I, I feel as though hopefully I, I get on Harry on some things. I got to give, uh, give Harry credit on this thing. He, he's still looking out for Porter. And again, the, the guy has been, you know, he's broken down now, but he was a good cop at one time. So he deserves not to know exactly what he did wrong, but right now I can understand why Bosch is still protecting him. I can really see that. And, you know, as we come to the end of this chapter, again, I just have to laugh. You know, they news conference with Teresa Corzon, Chief Irving, reference to them classifying Moore's death, then moving it to a homicide opposed to a suicide. But Bosch had to, you know, mess with the rabbit ears. You know, again, for, you know, I, I just got to say it because you can't assume for my younger listeners, Rabbit Ears was a TV antenna that sat on top of the TV and you get the local broadcast and you, you know, you didn't get it through YouTube or get it through, you know, the cable. You know, you had to, you know, move the, the antennas, you know, around to get a good reception. So, again, my younger, my, I'm pretty sure my older 50 plus uh, listeners probably chuckled at that particular portion. And, Again, lastly, Michael's giving us breadcrumbs reference to Bosch and his mother and his father because he's starting to, to think about um, some of the pictures when he was back at the house with Sylvia and Sylvia said Moore wouldn't let go of the past. He was always looking at these pictures. And Bosch said, look, I, you know, he's talking to himself. Um, he only met his father one time on his deathbed and he has no picture of his mother. So those are breadcrumbs that you got to say, oh, that's right. And again, you know, I keep asking this question because, you know, of course, in subsequent books, uh, Michael will address these things. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking back. Remember, I was telling you last episode is Michael makes you look back and like, oh, my goodness, he was setting that up way back in book two or way back in book one. So 
I love to know how he plotted his books out and these breadcrumbs, how they impacted him in the manner in which he wrote his books. My everyone counts or no one counts person for chapters 13 through 16 is Taiji Kerwin. Okay, so hold on. I know you guys say, Phil, what the hell? Kerwin? But I, I have to respect Kerwin for after just spending 12 hours in high power with all the animals and how bad it is. Rickard landed on thick on him. For him to then muster the courage to tell Rickard go to hell, that means he's in the life. That's the life I chose. I'm going to play it this way. I'm going to play it hard. So when I see him and he sees me on the street and we interact, I know how he's going to play it. And he knows how I'm going to play it. So I have to, and then I act accordingly. So I have to give him respect for choosing the game he's going to play and playing it out. And he's going to go hard. So again, my everyone counts or no one counts person for this chapters uh, 13 through 16 is Taiji Kerwin. So this concludes this episode uh, of the Black Ice chapters 13 through 16. Thanks for hanging in with me and thanks for uh, listening. And if you can continue to join me on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast and continue to rate us five stars or better, and uh, that would be much appreciated. And also if you can leave any comments, because those comments keep me fueled and I like the feedback and keep participating in the polls. I really, really, really appreciate that. And again, if you're so inclined, if you had the time, please invite a friend or family member to uh, join the podcast so we can keep this thing growing because we are growing with your help. And so up next time, we'll again, we will continue with uh, chapter reviews of the Black Ice, uh, chapter 17 through 20. Again, thank you. I'll catch you the next time. Bye.